today's scripture reading is from Joshua chapter 24, verses 14 through 28. Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Then the people answered, far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it is the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery and who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went and among all the peoples through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore, we also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. But Joshua said to the people, you are not able to serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. And the people said to Joshua, no, but we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said to the people, you are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. And they said, we are witnesses. He said, then put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, the Lord our God we will serve and his voice we will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and put in place statutes and rules for them at Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God. And he took a large stone and set it up there under the terebinth that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to all the people, behold, this stone shall be a witness against you, for it has heard all the words of the Lord that he spoke to us. Therefore, it shall be a witness against you, lest you deal falsely with your God. So Joshua sent the people away, every man to his inheritance. This is the word of the Lord. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Pray with me. Father, we come before your word. We come before this powerful object that can change our hearts. And we pray, Lord, that it would be effective in our souls, for we need it. Lord, we need it to strengthen us. We need it to move us. We need it for it to see you clearly. And so I pray that you would be in the midst of us as we continue worshiping you, that you would be with me, that you would speak through me, and that your people would hear your word. And Lord, that together we would give you glory and praise and honor. Father, help us to be present so that we can feel your presence and give you all the glory. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The elevator doors opened and I walked out. And I walked out into my new office. It was my first college internship and I had landed an internship with a pretty prestigious investment firm and they had a high rise in Newport Beach 
They had those nice white tiles and all glass offices. I felt like a million bucks just entering the office. And then I looked over and they were getting ready for lunch. And I was wondering what that was, and people had said that we were getting catering for lunch. And I looked over to see what we were eating, and it said Chipotle. Praise be to God. And as I went and I saw that, I sat down in my boss's office, and he was there talking to a client. He had the classic headset talking and looking out the window, and then he had stopped talking to the client and turned to me and he says, Welcome, Jeffrey. Welcome to your internship. I'm your boss. You're my client. And we talked. And he was amazing. He was an amazing mentor. And he talked about what the industry required and what was to be expected of me. He gave me my assignment. I took it. I did some work. Came back. And lo and behold, he said he was a little busy. He had two angels tickets that he couldn't go to and if I wanted to use them. I said, no, it's okay. I was so scared. But I remember sitting there thinking, Wow. Oh, and I forgot this important part. The office that I used. It was his partner's office. And he said I could use it because his partner only came into work once a month. I said, once a month? He said, yeah, he lives in Hawaii. I was in California at the time. And he only comes when he has to. I remember sitting there at my desk, and this is my thought. I'm going to be rich. That's all that could go through my head. I'm going to be rich. I landed the best job. And it went on like that for two weeks. And this mentor kept talking to me, and we would have these office sessions, and he would talk. But it was one particular conversation that kind of rattled me to the core. He's a nice guy, and he was talking to me, and he looked at me, and he just said, Jeff, what's your motivation for this job? And in college, I have no motivation. I'm just trying to eat, just trying to figure out who I am, see what my career is going to be. And and he told me, Jeffrey, if you're going to stay in this industry, you have to love money. Money has to become your number one priority. He says, I love my wife and I love my children, but what gets me up every day is to make that dollar. And I'm not saying everyone in finance is like that, but that struck a chord with me. It did its toll. I, took, I couldn't even shake it over the weekend. I mean, money's good. Money, money is useful. Money's very powerful. But do I love money? Did I want to give up everything for money? It was a question that I have never been presented before. And he did his job. And over the weekend, I just had a call and, says, and said, I don't think this industry's for me. And I quit. I don't even remember his name. Our time was so short. But he was an amazing person. He wasn't bad. He wasn't an evil person. But he just gave it to me straight. You want to stay in this industry, you have to love money. You need to count the cost before you begin this work. And it was powerful. And I bring up this story because this is the scene we have us before us today. Joshua is telling the people to count the cost. If you had been with us, we know that they have finally received the land, the Israelite, this promised land, this beautiful land flowing with milk and honey. They are so happy that they finally have this land. And they were thinking, we're rich. We're rich. And Joshua comes up to him and said, yes, you are. And... (laughs) 
said, you're rich. He says, yes, you are. And what happens after that is this. He explains to them that you won't be rich for much longer if you can't follow Christ. If you can't follow God. If you can't follow God, you will no longer be in this land. And he's telling them to count the cost. And so that is what we're going to go over. We're going to see how Joshua charges these people before he leaves how to count the cost and to remain in the land. So Joshua begins by telling them of all the great things God has done and all the great things that God will continue to do. And he stands before them and he says, Now you must serve the Lord with all your heart, might, and strength. God will not take anything less than that. Joshua gave God's resume. He said he freed you from Egypt. He wiped out the whole land before you. And he gave you this fertile, beautiful land. If you want to remain in it, love me completely. And he says, if this is not pleasing to you, I have other options for you. He goes on and says that in verses 14 uh, to 16. He says, go why don't you serve the gods of Egypt? Why don't you go serve the gods of the Amorites? And I think Joshua touches on something that has stayed true to humanity forever. Throughout all of history, these are the three choices mankind has been struggling with. The first one is this, tradition. The religion of our forefathers, our history. We have to think about, is this the religion that we are going to adopt and we are going to accept? Remember, when they were living in Egypt, they began worshiping the Egyptian gods. There were some amongst the Israelites that thought that it was a viable option to worship the gods of Egypt. And you have to remember the people at this time. A lot of these kids, they were born into the idolatry that they saw in their house. They didn't see the decision made. They woke up, they were born, they grew up, and the idols were always in the house, and mama and papa always served those Egyptians' gods. So it would be tough for them to leave it. Or, Joshua says, why don't you um, adopt the religion of the modern-day Arab, the Amorites, in which the land that you dwell? Why don't you take their beliefs and adopt them as your own? Why don't you accept them and maybe you'll blend in and be a part of them? Or you can choose God and make sure that he is your Lord. And you can probably feel the struggle for us today. I definitely can as an immigrant. We see these stories abound. We have to appreciate our forefathers and the religions that they have come from. We have to respect them, believe in them. Or we have to adopt the principles of the land we now live in. For many immigrants, America is a new thought process, a new way of thinking, a new way, outlook of life. Do we adopt those views and make them our own? But Joshua is telling everyone, it's neither. Adopt the way of the Lord. Joshua says, I will choose the Lord. Follow me. And how do the people respond? They say, of course we're going to follow God, Joshua. Why would we follow the gods of Egypt? They enslaved us. 
They persecuted us. We are not going back to those traditions. And why would we serve the Amorites? God so easily defeated every single God in this land. God, there is no one but you. We will serve you. And that was their mantra. They looked out and they counted the cost. They saw what the Egyptian gods could do. They saw what the Amorite gods could do. And they said, God, we choose you. And I think this is a good practice for us today. We are so torn by our culture and our past and all these things we have to do. We feel like we have to choose one or the other, but Christ is calling us to himself. Choose me. The traditional people or the people who hold on to tradition, they have their priests and their pastors. They have their ambassadors of people who believe that we need to hold on to the traditional values of whatever history we came from. Do you know who those ambassadors are? If you don't, it is most likely that you believe something of them. Do you know who the ambassadors of the modern day um, people are? The modern day spirit, the social milieu. Do you know who are pr promoting their ideas? If you don't, it's most likely you've adopted some of their ideology. That's why it's so important for us to know the Lord. For us to choose the Lord, we must know him. And when you know him, this is the realization you come to. After counting the cost, you realize you're bankrupt. That you're actually unable to love God as he demands. You cannot serve him because he is holy. This is the flow of logic, Joshua says in verse 19. But Joshua said to the people, you are not able to serve the Lord. And I want you to follow us in this movement. He was saying, who are you going to choose? Are you going to choose God or are you going to choose the gods of Egypt? Are you going to choose the God of the Amorites? I'm going to choose the Lord. And they said, we're going to choose the Lord. And he says, you can't choose the Lord. You can't do it. It's equivalent to dating. It's like, I want to date that girl. Or I want to date that guy. It's like, are you sure you can date him? You don't make enough money. It's like, I'm going to go ask her. And, and I ask her, can I date you? You don't make enough money. You're not tall enough. You're not good looking. What if I become those things? You don't have a shot. <laughs> and that's exactly what Joshua is saying. He says, you think you can simply choose the Lord? You don't have a chance. If you come into this relationship, you will be destroyed. And that is what Joshua is saying right here. And what is his rationale? He says, one, God is holy. You, Israelites, you are not holy. You are sinners. We are all sinners. None of us can simply enter into a relationship with God. Because God is holy, pure, and good, and we are fallen sinners. Second, why else can't we enter into a relationship with God? Because he's a jealous God. We cannot love God the way he wants to be loved. Oftentimes when we think about God's love, we think about a very stoic or regal God. Someone who is a, a deist, he's very powerful, cares about the world, does some magic here now and then, and then he no longer cares about humanity. That's how we view God. 
But the God of the scripture says God deeply loves us. He loves us so much that if you decide to turn from him, what will happen? In chapter 23, he describes what will happen if we do not love him and we love others. He says that he will make sure that those people are a snare and trap for you, a whip on your side and thorns in your eyes until you perish from off this good ground. If that doesn't make you feel uncomfortable, it's because you're not viewing God personally. It should make you feel very uncomfortable. Imagine if I came up to you and I said, let's date. And you said, yeah. And I said, but if you break up with me, I'm going to make sure whoever else you date will be a whip to your sides, a thorn to your eyes, and I hope you die. We, you guys didn't laugh when God said it. When we make God a personal God, we actually understand how much he actually loves us. He cares about where our heart is. He cares about what we do. He loves you so much that he wants you to love him back just as much. But Joshua says, but you can't do this. I've seen you guys. You guys already have idols amongst you. You cannot stay faithful to God. You cannot. Joshua clearly says in the next verse, verse 20, he says, If you forsake the Lord, he will consume you. And how did the Israelites respond? We will serve the Lord. I want to just take a time to just reflect on how powerful that statement is. Knowing all that, it's, that is going to happen to him, Israelites still chose God. Oftentimes we'll cast aside the Israelites and say that they were buffoons or, or they should have known or they're so foolish. But no, we have to take Israelites as a legitimate witness. They encountered God. They, see God. they saw God work. They saw his spirit. They saw him give the Ten Commandments. They saw God wipe out nations, departed oceans. And so when God says, you can choose another, but if you stay with me, you will be destroyed, they said, we take that option. It is a testament of the God we serve. God who is full of grace, compassion, and mercy. There is none like him that despite all the consequences that may come, the Israelite says, we still choose you. They are not a foolish people. They are not stupid. They know in their hearts that God is what they've always wanted and what their heart still longs for. God is worth it. And I was trying to think, is there anything like this analogy? And I was trying to think about it, and I thought about it. It's like the lottery. Yes, the lotto. Powerball. The Powerball is a foolish activity. Nobody should invest their money in the lotto. If you do, please don't tell me. I will judge you. <laughs> First of all, you have no shot of ever winning it. 
Okay, none, all right? They said you, you have a better shot of um, getting hit by lightning three times than winning the lotto. Yet people still give their money. But that's not it. Even if you win, say that you win, your life will still be ruined. There are so many horror stories of people who win the lotto. And, and, and I soak it all in. I, and I, I listened to this one radio podcast that had an hour of all the horror stories of people who won the lotto. That their friends are no longer their friends. They are uh, divorced, unhappy, that all these things happen. So why would you want to win the lotto? There's no reason to buy a lotto ticket until 2016. Never bought a lotto ticket. But you know, in 2016, it was getting up there. 700 million, 800 million, 900 million. And it was the largest Powerball ticket ever, $1.6 billion. And I said, foolish. But I started noticing in all the bodegas that they sell auto tickets. It's foolish. And one day I went in for water and I said, foolish, who buys the lotto tickets? Wow, $1.6 billion. I ended up buying three lines. I still bought it, even though I knew it was foolish. I knew all the things. I had told myself all these things. And I, and I figure money is one of those things. It's like a god, right? No matter how powerful, and we've heard all these stories, it's going to destroy. We gravitate towards it, even though we know it's going to just wreck us. Even I, a person who is legitimately against the lotto, bought three lines of the ticket. I did not win. <laughs> and this is who God was. It was too good of an opportunity to pass up. Powerful, strong, gracious, just. Israel had never seen a God like this before. And though it would crush them, they said, yes, give us that God. And what do we see happen? It crushes them. Joshua is not near the end of the Bible. We have Judges, Kings, Chronicles, the Prophets, the New Testament, and they're being cast aside. The whole point of Joshua 24 is to make you feel that tension. It's supposed to make you feel that God is so holy, so awesome, you want to be near him, but there is this thing that won't allow you to be near him. And you're fighting it and you're struggling. And as people read the scriptures, says, why can't we do our part of the bargain? Why can't we be with God? Will we always be consumed by him? That is until the New Testament arrives. And we see Jesus Christ, who is our redemption our payment. You see, as we count the cost and as we realize we are bankrupt, we realize the only payment, the only appropriate payment to enter into a relationship with God is Jesus Christ. And why is he so important for us? Remember, what is the first reason of why we couldn't enter into a relationship with God? Because he is holy and we are not. But Christ is makes us holy. Christ, as he died for us on the cross, as he got consumed himself, 
became the payment for our sins, and then unleash the Holy Spirit onto us. And that Holy Spirit unites us to Christ himself. It is our union with Christ that makes us holy. That is why Peter has no problem calling us a holy nation. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15 says this, But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your con conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Christ has made us holy through his death and through his resurrection. Second, it is Christ's love that we love our Lord God. We do not try to love God on our own power. You will still get crushed today. If you try to bypass Christ and try to love God on your own merits, you will get crushed. I have seen many people try. They believe that their good works will save them. They believe that a good family, a good reputation, they will believe that if they just serve God, that they will be okay. But those are the people who usually flame out and oftentimes leave the church. God has called all his people to love their enemies. Who can do that? Who can legitimately love your enemies? I can love my enemies in theory, but not actually who can really love their neighbors love everybody love everyone you encounter yes that is what god has called his people to do we don't have the bandwidth and biologically we are people who just want to preserve our own life we cannot in our own biology carry out what god has called us to do it is only through the power of Christ that we can do all these things. This is why Jesus is preached up here every week. Because we need him. It is only because of him we can truly love God the way he wants to be loved. Why do we always say be like Christ? It's because we see it in the New Testament. Jesus loving his father and the father loving Jesus perfectly and we have entered into that relationship except it is not by our own power that we love God it is by the power of Christ that we have entered into this relationship we need to give praise to God we do not live in this era of Joshua chapter 24 we live in a whole new era it is Christ who powers us and loves us, that enables, enables us to serve one another and love God as he ought. We have the true lotto ticket. It is Jesus who gives us the power to do all things that God has done to this earth. We are able to love greatly. It is what all of humanity has been seeking for, this love that comes from heaven. It is ours and it is ours to unleash into this world. Praise be to God. Christ is our shield and our protector. And he is able, he is able to do all things through us because of what he has done with the Father. I want to think of it this way. In the ocean, it's something I'm terrified of. 
It's scary down there. And if you try to explore the great ocean, you will get crushed. Your body cannot handle it. The pressure, the things that are going on there, you will not be able to do it. But once you are in an ark, a submarine, you are able to go down and explore the great wonders of the ocean. That is who God is. You can only begin exploring the great depths and wonders and mercy of God when you are in Christ. Praise be to God. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we pray that you would guide us and love us. Thank you so much that you have come and died for us. Thank you that you are our redemption. And that it's because of you that we get to experience the great love of God. God, may we give you all our glory. I thank you. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.